Today we're going to begin a long look, I mean like three or four months long look, at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Many people have said it was the greatest sermon ever preached. I'm not going to argue because Jesus preached it. And we're going to get the chance to to go slowly through this and really dig in and, and understand what Jesus was saying and even what was going on around him as he was speaking and, and a little bit of uh, of a look into the culture. But before we do, I I, I just got to share with you, I had an interesting week this week. Um, we're hearing so much on the news about things we should be afraid of and that, that we need to be worried because we don't know what's going to happen here and we don't know what's coming next. And, uh, you know, we've all got a different stand on that. And my attitude is God is control, is in control, and, and I know that God's got a hold of it. So uh, while it's curious, I'm not real worried about it. But one of the things I've been worried about my entire adult life is root canals. I know. Strange left turn, right? Here's the deal. I wake up Tuesday morning and my tooth is so sore, I don't know what to do. Go through the week, I'm not sleeping, I'm not sleeping. I get to Friday and I realize if I don't get something done with this thing, address this major fear of mine, I'm not going to be preaching on Sunday. And so I sent a text message because I know all the dentist's office are closed. And I sent a text message to a dentist I knew and, and I said, hey, I, what, what constitutes an emergency? And he said, well, what's going on? So I said my symptoms and he said, how soon can you meet me at my office? And so, the worst of my fears came true. Yes, you need a root canal. Let's do it right now. Okay. Proceeded to uh, a lengthy root canal, which I got to say didn't hurt a bit. He was honest. He told me the truth. He said, I'll take care of you. It didn't hurt. And so I'm here. I'm preaching. I'm feeling great. And I have got to give a shout out to Dr. John Iverson and his assistant, Carissa, at Glacial Lakes Dental. Because they got me in emergency. They took care of everything. And... I'm feeling so much better, so thank you that I get to be with my church family this morning. Otherwise, I would have been at home hurting. So let's get, go forward with uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Starting in verse 13 of chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus turns his attention from specifically talking to the disciples to talking to the disciples, realizing this growing crowd of people behind them was listening to every word he was saying. And so what he's really doing is, is he told the disciples in the Beatitudes, which just come before this, he's telling them, this is what you're going to experience, and this is how you need to confront it, and this is how you, you need to live and stand tall and realize that when it feels like the world is just completely tearing you apart, you need to understand that you're blessed because of what you're doing and, and, and the call that, that I have on your life. And then he takes this turn, and now he's going to start talking about how they live as disciples, how they live as Christians in this crowd. And so, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He starts out right there, and this crowd that's listening to him realizes that there's something on the way because what he's actually doing is talking about what it is to be a Christian, the responsibilities of being a Christian. And as he's talking to his disciples, we've got to understand that these are the men who he has called out of this crowd, that, that he's called out of all of the people that are gathered. These guys were a part of it not very long ago. They've stepped out of the crowd 
And now they're being specifically taught and discipled by Jesus, which is why we're still called to be disciples and to make disciples. And what he's going to do is he's going to send them back into the crowd. And what the crowd is hearing is Jesus telling this small group of guys what it is to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a follower of His? And if you've ever wondered, what does Jesus expect of me? Maybe you're a new Christian and you're thinking about being a Christian and all you're focused on is how much you're going to have to give up. Well, in Jesus' words that are ahead, what He's really doing is saying, here's what it is to be a follower of Mine. And the Beatitudes that He begins with Let's the disciples and let you and I know whatever it is that we might think that we give up in our old life is nothing compared to what it is that is in store that God has to give us in our new life in Him. So in, in Matthew 5, verse 13, You're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. When salt went bad, and salt was very valuable in those days... When salt went bad, they literally threw it down on the roads and it just became part of what people walked on and what, what carts rolled over and animals walked on. You might be trying to understand how in the world can salt, Jesus talking to them in that day, have anything to do with my life today. I've heard a lot of sermons on this text. And not one of them actually has addressed what the disciples would have heard that day. How the disciples would have heard those words of Jesus. And so around here what we talk about a lot is we've got a responsibility to stick to the text of the Bible. Not to change the words. Stick, stick to the text. And then explain the context. And then what is the application? How does that relate to my life? Well, the context is for the disciples... They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew what He meant because salt was such an integral part of their world. What He's saying is, if you call yourself a disciple of Mine, and you don't live like I live, if you don't act like Me, if you don't try to become more and more like Me, you really become as worthless as the old salt gets thrown on the road and walked down. What Jesus is doing is instantly calling the disciples to a higher standard than the crowd behind them. And the crowd behind them is paying attention going, okay, there is something different about this guy than just doing miracles. What he's saying is you don't get to live like your old self anymore. There is a new creation that we become in Jesus. And he's saying, and I expect you to live that way. So let's bring it home really quickly because one of the criticisms of the Christian church is people say, I hear what you all say you believe, but I don't see any of you that actually live like you believe it. And so the word that they use, and it's nothing new, people have talked about it forever, is they say, well, Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. It's true. As soon as we sin, we're a hypocrite. We don't do the very thing that we say that we believe in. That is why we need Jesus. We're not perfect, and so we need a Savior who is perfect. Are we hypocrites? Sure. Do we try to be? No, most of us don't. But let me ask you a question. How many Christians do you know who really live like they're Christians, who really live like they believe and want to put into practice the words of Jesus in the Bible? I don't mean once in a while. I mean, all of the time. This is what their life is based on. How many Christians, and, and for the sake of the discussion, count yourself in the group here, okay? How many do you know live and talk like Jesus all the time? How many live and talk and love like Jesus all the time? No gossip, no slander. 
It means no judging other people or condemning other people for the things that they do wrong or, or uh, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, a life that's all self-control, love, peace, patience, kindness. They live like Jesus. They live like the people who are blessed in the Beatitudes that Jesus taught His disciples. This is what He's trying to get at. No pride, no arrogance. They're the same people that are, that are out at the bar or the restaurant or out on the town on a Friday night that you see in church on Sunday morning. It doesn't matter where they are or who they're with or what they're doing. It, it doesn't matter whether there's alcohol involved or not. How many do you know that really live like Jesus? Can you fill the fingers of one hand with the number? Go back to the Old Testament where you've got the discussion outside of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Can you come up with one? Can you come up with one example of someone who you really know who lives like Jesus? That, folks, if you're struggling, is why we're still sinners. That's why we are in need of a Savior. It's why Jesus is laying out this entire discussion with His conversation, this entire sermon with these people, is so that they understood what it meant to be a follower of His. If you came up with one, are you the one? Are you the one that you're thinking about says, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job. And if you're not, then you know, just like me, you really need Jesus. Because we still, as much as we want to live as a disciple and a, 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 disciple and a follower of His, we still sin. See, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, points out that the salt isn't Jesus. He, he points out and he writes that the salt is for Jesus and the disciples are the salt. Jesus isn't the salt of the earth. He says that you are the salt of the earth. The work that He's begun, we continue. When He gave us the Great Commission, it was to go therefore into all the world, preach the good news, baptize them, and to teach them all that He has commanded to make disciples. And to do that, we have to be a disciple. The work that Jesus has begun, He is now transferring to His disciples. You know what that means? If, if you've put your faith in Jesus, if, if you've accepted God's free gift of salvation, if you've recognized that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you've accepted the forgiveness of your sins through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, then He calls you to be salt for Jesus in the world that you live in as well. And we need to live like that. We don't want to live like salt that is us. We want to live like the salt that is Jesus all the time everywhere we go. So what does that mean? What, what does salt do? Salt enhances the flavor. It, it, it changes the flavor. Salt makes food better unless you use too much of it. And there's examples of Christians that are too much. It's called religion and judgmentalism and some things like that. But the salt that we're called to be should enhance the world around us with the love of Jesus. People should know that there's something different about us, that we should change the experience that people in the world have the way that salt changes our experience with food. In the way that, same way that salt does when it's used properly, salt preserves food. And we are to be a part of preserving the people of the world for the day of Jesus' return. That's why you hear me say as the Open Door Christian Church, God's called us to be leaders, not a leader, but leaders to influence and to be agents of change in the culture around us for the good news of Jesus. That is what the church is called to do. That is what being salt means, is that you sprinkle salt all over. And the experience, there is a change, there is an enhancement of the world, not because of us or you or me, but because we're the salt 
that sprinkles the love of Jesus. We don't always understand that in our world. We, we get confused about it, and more often than not, we make it about us. And it isn't about us. We're the salt, but Jesus is the one who we want to be changing and giving an example for. Verse 14 says, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You, you, Jesus in you, is a light to the world. What that means is, especially in these days, are people looking to you for hope? Or are they looking for you just to gossip and talk about how bad things are and how crazy things are? Because, boy, we all get caught up in those conversations. I certainly do. Um, We've all got opinions of what's really going on. But really, above everything else that's going on, are we talking about the greater things because we're called to a higher standard? Are we talking about Jesus? Are we talking about His great love for us? Are we talking about how none of this is a surprise to God? See, the fact is, if you're a Christian, people are looking to you for hope. They're looking for you to have something that they might be missing. They might be looking to you as a Christian to be a little bit of light, a little bit of hope in the midst of all this darkness. He uses his example of a city on a hill. A city on a a hill at night can be seen for miles around it. And I have to believe that Jesus was speaking to these disciples in this crowd realizing that just to the south, about 70 miles, is the very large city of Jerusalem. It was the largest city on a hill that any of them knew. Here's a picture from the last time that we were able to be in Jerusalem. It's looking across the Kidron Valley, and we're actually, we took this in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is Jerusalem, the city on a hill. There's nothing that that is going on in Jerusalem at night that you can't see for miles and miles around because the lights are so bright. That's the message that Jesus is sending. That as the light of the world, you're like a city on a hill, and you can't be hidden. You're out there for everyone to see. Soon after this time that Jesus delivered this Sermon on the Mount, the whole world would know what Jerusalem believed. The whole world would know what it was that happened there. They didn't do a good job of taking care of the light that they were entrusted with. See, there's two statements that Jesus makes. The first is that the disciples, and in turn you and I, that we're the light of the world. The second is that the city on a hill can't be hidden. He didn't say lights can't be hidden. Lights can be hidden. But see, that's part of the point. What Jesus is saying is that what's about to happen in Jerusalem, this great city on a hill, it wouldn't be hidden. The world would know about it forever. The people of Jerusalem would soon deny Jesus. They would prove themselves worthless, both as salt and as light. It's a reminder and a word of caution that as the light of Jesus, people pay attention to what we say and to what we do when we say that we're Christians. We do, in fact, become a city on a hill and people look at us. They they look to us to what we're going to do. Certainly, they're going to see the sinfulness in all of us. That's always going to happen. But you know, the only thing that can shine brighter than the darkness of our sin is the light of Jesus in us. What we say and what we do matters. Verse 15, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Would it be the light of Jesus in a dark and dying world? It's why lighthouses exist on dangerous shorelines to announce to ships that are there that land and and dangerous water is ahead. Back before the days of GPS and radios, the only thing that they had was a lighthouse, and a lighthouse served notice to boats of an announcement of what lies ahead. 
If you think about us as light and as lighthouses, we shine the light of Jesus in a way that announces to people what is ahead. And what is ahead is eternity. That eternity that is going to have every one of us going to one of two places. Either we're going to heaven or we're going to hell. Not because God chooses to send us to one or the other, but because it's the place that we choose in this life. And so, what does the light, what does the lighthouse do? It helps to announce to people that eternity lies ahead. And it helps them to safely navigate through the storms of life, just like we're in right now. Think of what's going on in this country as a storm. Think about it as you, as a lighthouse. Who is looking to you to help you navigate safely through this storm and darkness? And what are you doing about it? Are you just getting into the trenches and talking about all the scary stuff? Or are are you lifting the bar a little bit higher and talking about Jesus and serving as a light to announce eternity that's ahead? Talk about light when something is lost. What's the first thing we do after you get done being in a panic? You get a light, a flashlight, a lantern, something to try to find it when you're young or maybe not so young. When you get scared of the dark, what do you do? You want a flashlight, right? Or a candle or something else. If if the power goes out at night, right now you're all thinking about where's my flashlight, where's the lights, where's the emergency stuff, right? What happens when the power goes out? We gather up flashlights and lanterns and candles. Why? To provide light in the darkness. Because there's some amount of safety and security that a light provides. That's what Jesus is talking about. You, as a disciple of His, carry His light into the darkness of the world that surrounds you. You have a greater responsibility to the world than to just simply exist. We've got a responsibility as Christians to be salt and to be light. Yes, the world is going to call us hypocrites and they're going to tell us that we're sinners and they're right. But that's why the light that we have isn't the goodness in us. The light that we have is Jesus. So you're to be a light in the darkness. And right now, this nation is living in darkness that in our 200 plus years, we've never seen. We've had some dark days as a country, but this one, this one's different. There's an awful lot that's going on around us. And the one thing that everyone needs is not a vaccine. It isn't a different president. It isn't stronger politicians. It isn't more money. The one thing that everybody needs is the hope that we can only find in Jesus. We as Christians are the ones to shine that light into the world. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Darkness is simply any place where light is not present. Talked about this in a college physics class and debated it for hours. But darkness is, by definition, the absence of light. What it requires to have darkness is literally absolutely nothing. Nothing is required for darkness. But it takes a source. It takes power for there to be light. Light drives out darkness. There is no darkness where there is light. Shadows really are nothing more than areas that are hidden from the light. They're like sin. In our good works, the way that we live and love as Christians should be light to the world that points to the source of the power that is in us, the Holy Spirit alive in us. That is our Father who is in heaven. And if you think of light that way, that literally what you as a Christian have an opportunity to do is to exist in the world and be the light that, that drives away the darkness, literally. And there are people that feel like they're suffocating. 
because the darkness is absolutely surrounding them. Maybe what you need to do is take just a moment and send them a text, make a phone call, drop an old-fashioned thing in a place called the post office. It's a letter. It requires a little stamp. It will go right to them. They'll realize someone's thinking about them. You have the opportunity with the light that is in you to literally drive away the darkness. We're we're living in unusual days. Uh, We are as people. We are as a nation. We are as a church. And really, if you break it down, there's two ways that we can approach what it is that we're faced with. There's two attitudes or points of view. One is desperation, one is fear, one is being overwhelmed with uncertainty. The, the other is with confidence. We can approach it with a certainty. Not with a confidence that there's a cure that's going to be found or when life gets back to normal, because newsflash, life's not getting back to normal. Uh, the way that we knew life two months ago, it's going to change. We're going to try to bring it back there. That's what you hear everybody talking about, but it's going to be a losing battle because our, our world has changed. But even in that, we don't have to be negative. We don't have to be in despair. We can have confidence that in all of the uncertainty and all of the fear, all of the questions, all of the unknowns, all of the economic and personal financial instability, God is at work in a powerful way for anyone and everyone who will look to Him in trust as their hope. See, God has done that throughout history. Every time that people have run out of what they can do, every time that they've been told that they can't, every time that a crisis happens or persecution happens or some major event happens, the one thing that always shines through is the light of God's love through Jesus. Always. And folks, here's what I've got to say to you. I've been paying attention to our country. I've been paying attention to what churches are doing. I've been talking to and paying attention to people. Here's what I've come up with. It's real simple. It is time for Christians to shine. It is time for Christians to be the church. It is time for Christians to be the people that we call ourselves, that we claim to be. Our church doors might be closed, but the open door is still open, and God is at work in such a mighty way through this place. It it may look to the outside of the world that as a whole, churches are shutting down and closing up shop, but to every individual who has been connected to our church, to everyone who has plugged into one of our life groups or online small groups, or to Recovery Church who has been able to be a part of our care ministry, either than caring for people or being cared for our, our student ministry, or the many multitude of ways that our church is continuing to exist and to be the light of Jesus. Maybe it's something as simple that, that, you know what, we have the opportunity to pray for you. And that thing that seems so simple, you find out in a hurry, is radically life-changing. There's folks today who will never call prayer only prayer or just prayer. Why? Because God is allowing us as a church, because we are willing to reach out into the darkness And we get to care for God's people. And God is making a difference through this church. God is making a difference through you. You really are living as salt. You're enhancing the world around you. The light is shining brightly into the darkest corners of the world. And what we're finding out with this increased online presence that churches are having is that really we have become global churches. God is showing Himself to be powerful, good, loving, and everywhere. Lives are being transformed and the darkness is being driven back. And it is awesome to be a part of. 
If you're not a part of what we're doing here at the Open Door, I invite you, I encourage you to find one of the ways that you can get a hold of us, app or Facebook or our website, and just reach out and plug in. If you've got another church that you're a part of and you just happen to be watching us, call your pastor, call who's ever there, say, what can I do? How can I help? Wherever it is, maybe you don't have a church home. And, and now is the time to plug in because... God is at work through the local church all over the place. Do you know how much your pastor would love it if you called and said, what can I do to help? I know because I love getting those phone calls. If you go to church somewhere else and you're just watching us, let me promise you, your pastor would love that. But there's darkness in the world. The enemy of God, Satan, the liar, the deceiver, hides in the darkness in so many ways. And he is at work subtly and not so subtly right now in America. He hides in the shadows because he's a deceiver, because he's a liar. The enemy of God, the devil, hides in the shadows of fear and anxiety, in desperation, and in the very thing that we're told to do, which is separation. We've started using the phrase not social distancing, but rather physical distancing. You know what? We need to be social. We need to be together. We need to connect. We need to do things like this. And you know what else the enemy is doing? He hides in the idea that alcohol is going to make us feel better. He hides in the idea that, that drugs are going to make us feel better. He hides in alcoholism and drug addiction and the stranglehold of, of pornography and infidelity and in so many different forms of addiction. He hides in the fear that is caused by the media and the way that it makes some people's heads just spin. And he hides in ways that only God knows about. That's why God sent you and I to this earth to be salt and light, to shine the light of Jesus, not our goodness, but the light of Jesus into that darkness. Jesus shines a light on the darkness that is the devil. And Jesus gives us His light. It is Him in us that makes the difference. When I was putting this together this week, it reminded me of an incredibly brave group of men and women that I met in Haiti who were a part of Teen Challenge. I got to go there and uh, just to, to be a, a person in the, in the audience for their graduation. And when they finish and when they graduate, you know, they don't pack up and, and leave Haiti and, and get out as fast as they can. You know what they do? They become just like the disciples. Those men and women, they go back to the communities and they go back to the neighborhoods that they came from. They go back to the crowds that caused them all of their troubles in the first place. They don't escape the crowds. They do exactly what Jesus called these disciples to do. He called them to go back into the crowd that they came from. And when they return, when these young men and women in Haiti return to their neighborhoods and their communities, they return as salt and light bearing the good news of Jesus to anybody that will listen. They go home as a new creation in Jesus. And they bring the good news of Jesus with them. And as I was thinking about that, I, I, I thought, you know, this is the passage. I'm sure Dr. Giulio Volsi, who does an incredible job with his team down there, I'm sure he talks about this passage with them a lot. But you know what? Today I'm talking with you about it because we're called to do the same. We're called to step out of that crowd that caused us troubles, that caused us to make bad decisions, that caused us to go in directions that weren't godly. And when we meet Jesus as our Savior and we become a new creation... Jesus, in turn, says that we're salt and light and we go back into those crowds. And so here's what I want to ask you. Where is God calling you to be salt and light in your world?
Where do you need to go to shine the light of Jesus in the darkness? If you stop and think about it, you don't have to think very hard. You start thinking about how many people do you know who are really living as a Christian, and what you do is you say, Okay, God, I will. I'm willing. Where do you want me to go? And then the question becomes, Will you go? See, God has this amazing way of following through on His promises. And, and when Jesus challenges us with something, when He commands us with something, God always provides a way. It, see, if you are willing, God will be your way maker.